0: Welcome to Rebel Roundup, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you, in which we look back at some of the very best commentaries of the week by your favourite rebels. I'm your host, David Menzies. Well, Sheila Gunn-Reed and a friend recently decided to conduct an ongoing experiment into the effectiveness of the COVID-19 vaccine and the coronavirus testing. The result, well, let's just say that Sheila's results make for the sort of information that big government, big media, and the censorious thugs of Silicon Valley do not want you to know about. Sheila will have all the nitty-gritty details. And it was about a year ago that Church of God Pastor Tobias Tissen, well, he defied the COVID emergency orders and had the temerity to open his church now the authorities are coming after him big time. He faces up to a million dollars in fines. Sid Fizzard, our man in Calgary, has all the details. And finally, letters. We get your letters. We get your letters every minute of every day. And I'll share some of your responses about my commentary regarding NBC News You know, this organization that just can't stop lying, whether the subject matter is GM pickup trucks or a certain transgendered swimmer. Talk about fake news indeed. Those are your rebels. Now let's round them up.
1: You know, I saw this very interesting statistic this morning. It was sent to me in my email by my friend, good friend of Rebel News, Tom Harris from the International Climate Science Coalition Canada. I took a screenshot of it. It was so interesting. It's readily available COVID-19 data from the Ontario government website. It shows that the triple vaccinated, so twice vaccinated and boosted are contracting the coronavirus at a greater rate than any other vaccine demographic. The double-jabbed are also catching COVID at a greater rate than the unvaccinated. Now, I'm sure there are a couple of different reasons for this. And without getting into my wild conspiracy theories, it probably has a lot to do with the fact that the unvaccinated are already naturally immune through prior exposure. Now for those of you who have been following along in this saga, you already know about my little blood work experiment and by little experiment, I mean little. It's just two people, me and my long-suffering needle- averse friend wherein for nearly the last half year, five months to be precise, we have been going to a private lab in Edmonton, Alberta called ICOR, to have our respective antibodies to COVID checked. Well, we have results today to a whole new and different blood test that I think spells the end of this project and calls into question a lot of the at-home rapid testing much of the new normal in society is built around. Our experiment started out out of spite. It started with the imposition of the vaccine passport system in Alberta, which prevented the two of us from participating in society in a fulsome way. One of us because they weren't allowed to because of vaccination status, and the other one, well, because they weren't going to be a part of the biomedical elite while others were discriminated against. And don't kid yourself, though the passport system provincially is gone, there are still people who are unable to work because of workplace mandates and the unvaccinated cannot fly or take a train on no-fly lists like common terrorists. Anyway, one of us has recovered from a pretty ugly lab-diagnosed COVID-19 illness last spring, about this time actually, and the other one of us was double vaccinated last summer but never received a first booster, let alone a second booster or whatever the booster number the politicians and the public health bureaucrats tell us we should have punched on our Pfizer frequent customer punch card. And it doesn't really matter who was who. Because medical privacy is one of the reasons I loathed the vaccine passport system. Why should you have to tell your bartender, your flight attendant, or the girl at the front desk of your gym if you've had a medicine? Anyway, my friend and I started testing at a private lab to prove to ourselves and to others what medical discrimination really looks like in real time. Because from the outset, the one of us who is naturally immune to COVID and the artificially immune... Well, we had equal levels of antibodies, greater than 250 units of COVID-19 antibodies per milliliter of our blood. And as an aside, we had to pay out of pocket for this testing because the Alberta government blocks doctors from ordering this lab work, a policy I confirmed five months ago in an email with a spokesperson from Alberta Health. Anyway, we kept testing each month after month after month because we wanted to see if the government and health officers were right when they still to this day insist... The unvaccinated, yet naturally immune, need a vaccine because their immunity wanes also. We wanted to see whose antibodies to COVID lasted longer from our matching baselines. This is why the vaccinated test subject never got a booster, or one of the reasons. But here's where things get weird, and why we did that new test brought in by ICOR to further investigate what was really going on. The vaccinated test subject had not been sick prior to the start of the experiment at all not even the sniffles, but during the experiment, that person fell under the weather, not terribly, but they were sick three times in five months. And each time to protect the integrity of the experiment, that person got a COVID test once in a lab and the other two times in an effort to avoid being added to the daily lockdown case counts used to control society, that person took an at-home COVID test, all of which came back negative. Perfect, right? The experiment was still okay, except it wasn't, and we didn't know it. Until ICOR just this last month made a T-cell test available. Unlike other quantitative tests, the tests that test the levels of our antibodies in our blood, the T-cell test tests where those antibodies are from, or rather how they were obtained. The T-cell test shows if you have natural immunity to COVID. You see, we started getting suspicious that after 10 months the vaccinated person hadn't seen a drop-off in antibody count. And we were more inclined to believe that the vaccine was actually a misdiagnosed failure rather than just so darn effective that it didn't need a booster yet after 10 months. So we took the new T-cell test, 300 bucks a piece out of pocket, because again, the province blocks doctors from letting you know if you have immunity to COVID, let alone natural immunity to COVID. And guess what? We both have T-cell or naturally obtained immunity. So what does this mean? It means the vaccine likely provided no protection to COVID whatsoever. But it also calls into question the testing too, which was already suspect. But it was interesting to see it play out in our own blood work in real time. A study published by the CDC found that the antigen test provided a 20% false negative rate in symptomatic individuals and 59% false negative rates in asymptomatic persons. So one in five actually sick people will get a negative COVID test result and two out of three asymptomatic people exposed to the virus will get a false negative negative. and that's under ideal conditions not over the kitchen sink with a stick up your nose playing lab tech CSI so though we never got to see the race to the bottom with covid antibodies we were able to show how unscientific the discrimination against the unvaccinated truly is and how useless vaccine mandates are we can see that the vaccine did nothing to keep the one person from becoming infected and the test couldn't even identify a covid case when clearly at some point that person absolutely had a case of covid and yet this is the system the new normal that our whole society is now built around: tests and vaccines, vaccines and tests, and neither one of those things worked here: one to fly, one to work, vaccines and tests, tests and vaccines and tests, and trusting the science. And yet, when we put the political science to the test with real medical science, the political science failed spectacularly:
0: Wow. What you just saw, folks, is a report that governments and bureaucracies and the mainstream media and the Silicon Valley tech giants would prefer you never laid eyes on. As you witnessed, Sheila Gunn-Reed and her uh, pal conducted an experiment that completely dismantles the COVID-19 narrative when it comes to getting immunized and getting tested for the coronavirus. And the bottom line is this: neither the vaccines nor the tests seem to be effective. Absolutely incredible. And joining me now to further weigh in on what just might be the scam of the decade is our chief reporter, Sheila Gunn Reid. How you doing there, Sheila?
1: David, I'm great. Um, it, it's uh, interesting to see the unwillingness of the well of the mainstream media to do the work. That that actually shouldn't surprise anybody. But I, it was fun to be able to prove a theory that we've heard anecdotally all over the place. People mm-hmm. saying, "I got vaccinated, I got sick anyway," or "I swear to God, I had COVID, but the test kept coming back negative," and it was. Fun to be able to finally, now that this test is available privately in Canada, put our theories um, to the science, to actually do what the bureaucrats and the politicians keep telling us to do, follow the science. Well, we actually did that and we were able to prove so much of the COVID narrative wrong.
0: And, and, you know, Sheila, the first two questions for me that spring to mind about your report, one is, Why do you think no one in the mainstream media uh, has employed their investigative reporters uh, to do a similar experiment? Because that would be really good journalism, too. And secondly, when it comes to uh, the pro-vaccine and pro-test camps, how do you think they will, I don't know, inevitably debunk your experiment? What what are they going to use as their weaponry?
1: Well, of course, you know, we know that the mainstream media, they are Justin Trudeau's enablers, but also his enforcers. Right. And that's what subsidies buy you. So they are not going to stray from the official government narrative that um, vaccination is the only way to prevent the spread of covid it's the only way to prevent yourself from getting dangerously sick even though you see politicians all the time say oh i just tested positive for covid but i'm so grateful for the uh two jabs the booster and the second booster i got because i would be dangerously sick if i had not been how do you know that um, but um we we know that the mainstream media anytime somebody else has undertaken something even remotely similar we saw this happen on a larger scale with the town of La Crete, Alberta they never locked down and they tested four antibodies to prove that they achieved, herd immunity by never locking down and they were able to prove that once you took coercion out of the equation vaccine uptake within the general population is probably only closer to 30 percent because in lacrete you didn't have to get a vaccine to go to work or to go to the gym or go to a restaurant you could get a vaccine if you wanted to or not nobody cared um so We do know that when these similar stories, and there haven't been a lot of them, I've done five of them, I guess, six of them now, um, and the story of LaCrete, the media moves to try to debunk it, but they never actually really do. In the end, they just sort of attacked the messenger with LaCrete. They pointed to, oh, they're kind of Mennonite up there and they're a little bit weird, Um, and they're off the beaten path. That was the... Takeaway of their story, and that it could never have happened in a big city. And with my story, they're either going to ignore it or attack me as the messenger and say, Well, you didn't do this scientifically. Maybe I didn't, but I did it exactly the way that everybody else in the world is dealing with COVID. Two people made a medical decision for themselves based on the information that they had at the time. One of them decided to not get vaccinated, got COVID, and the other person said, well, I'm going to get a vaccine, um, but I'm not going to get boosted. And we know, you know people like that, everybody knows people like that, who in the end say, pretty sure I got COVID. Uh, I'm curious, I would like to know, but the government doesn't give you access to that information. Luckily enough, we had the support of our viewers uh, who helped us cover the cost to get this uh, data done.
0: And you know, Sheila, I'm so happy you brought up the example of Crete. That was another superb report that you produced. And I think uh, this is one way of defending the inevitable attacks, which I suspect will be, well, a sample size of two people. Uh, That's not a valid size. That's not uh, big enough. Well, How about an entire town where Mm. most of the people did not get immunized and it showed the same results? Meanwhile, across the pond, we go to a country like Israel, probably the most vaxxed up country in the world. And um, the spread of the coronavirus hasn't uh, stopped there. So I think uh, this is um, an, an arrow in your quiver to say, hey, it's not just two. Look at the LaCrete story.
1: Yeah, look at Crete. It's a town of 3,500. They did this testing en masse because all of the systems didn't fail there. The Chamber of Commerce organized the testing because they actually stood up for the business community. The local government stood up against medical segregation um, and the community took care of themselves. That's how a society is supposed to work. And it worked there during the pandemic. But We can also look at a sample size, the size of the province of Ontario, because right now, according to the province of Ontario's own published data on their website, and I took a screenshot of it in case it disappeared, as so much (laughs) government data tends to do these days, when adjusted for population, the triple jab, so double jabbed and boosted, are testing positive for the coronavirus At a far greater rate than the double jabbed and the people who are testing positive at the lowest rate, it's actually the unvaccinated. And I think it goes to my theory that a lot of the people who chose to not get vaccinated were people who had already had COVID. And so those people have the longer, more resistant um, and more robust to all the strains of COVID uh, natural immunity. And it's helping them get through the Omicron.
0: And let's uh, get one thing straight here, Sheila. When you and your friend went into this experiment, you didn't have an agenda. You didn't have a conclusion you wanted to prove. What I'm getting at is that if your data, uh, if the data from you and your friend was the exact opposite, you would have reported that too, I assume, right?
1: Sure. How could I not? You know, we went into this um, with um, either to prove politicians right or wrong. We were testing what they were telling us. They were telling us that vaccination was the most robust uh, version of immunity. So when we tested for our baselines, the unvaccinated person and the vaccinated person both had equal amounts of COVID uh, spike protein antibodies. So that in, in and of itself proved the politicians wrong. But it also proved the segregation of the vaccine passport system because even though we were both, As immune, based on our antibody levels, as each other, only one of us could function as uh, part of the biomedical elite. And then as the story went on, um, you know, we became suspicious of what was was unfolding here. We became suspicious of the efficacy of the vaccine itself, because even though the one person's antibody levels weren't declining – we knew through other data available across the world that the vaccines aren't all that effective. So what happened here? A COVID test at some point failed to catch a COVID infection. And one of those COVID tests was lab, a lab test. And the other two were you know, over the kitchen sink with a stick up your nose. But apparently that's good enough for the government. So it should have been good enough for our experiment, too. And one of those tests failed and the vaccine failed.
0: Well, Sheila, it was a superb report. It should be the beginning of a media snowball, uh, but it won't be, of course, because this goes completely against uh, the media narrative. One last question. Do you have any more experiments up your sleeve (laughs) to debunk uh, some of the crazy things going on in our ever crazier world?
1: You know, I. I'm sort of sad to see the experiment kind of come to an end mm. because now we we see that we my friend and I both have natural immunity. That's the T-cell immunity. It's more resilient and longer lasting. But, but I'm still curious about how the other spike protein antibodies diminish um, uh, because we're told, again, that it doesn't matter whether you're vaccinated or not. Those will diminish over time. I'm curious to see if we should continue testing to see if that Does drop off the way that politicians say they will. Um, And at this point, it wouldn't be just, you know, two. Uh, one person who's vaccinated and one person who's unvaccinated testing, apparently we're both naturally immune um, just to see how that uh, drops off in uh, different people. Uh, when a guy, when a girl, one, you know, who knows when they were infected and one who has absolutely no clue when they got COVID. Um, so, you know, I, I'd be interested to hear from our viewers if they'd like to see us continue the experiment. Um, I don't have a problem with needles. My friend sure does, but uh, he's a trooper. So we're willing to keep testing if people are interested to see um, what what plays out in our blood work. And ICor, the private lab, um, they are really seeing, um, you know, people are very curious, and but they can't get this information from the government. And they are always bringing in new sort of tests in the COVID universe. And I'm kind of interested to see what they bring in next, because I'm willing to be a human guinea pig, as long as my friend is willing to be a pincushion. cushion, uh, just to see, uh, you know, like, put our own body to the test of the science. Because again, they say, follow the science. Well, I'm trying.
0: Well, we know what some of those government people are doing, uh, don't we, Sheila? Uh, we'll just end it on that. And that is, uh, and I, won't, I I would never dream of suggesting you do this experiment because I have too much respect for you, but they're wading through sewers looking yeah. for COVID in <laughs> fecal matter. Evidently, that's the new normal of uh, announcing uh, uh, increased case uh, counts of the coronavirus Like I said, Sheila, a crazy world. Great report. I urge everyone to watch it. Thank you so much, Sheila.
1: Thanks, David. Have a great weekend.
0: You too. And that was Sheila gunn Reid, somewhere in the northern hinterland of Alberta. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this.
2: When churches were no longer able to gather thanks to COVID health orders in Manitoba, one pastor stood above the rest in defiance. Now quarantine tickets, Pastor Tobias Tissen fights on. Over a year ago, he defied COVID emergency orders by attending protests against said COVID emergency orders and more grievously for practicing his religion. This was seen by the state as defying public gathering limits of no greater than five. Tobias was fined thousands for this alone. Group gatherings of over five people are restricted. And that means there's a rule against that, so don't do it. The Church of God, which Pastor Tobias belongs to, was also fined $5,000 for hosting in-person church service. And after a battle with RCMP over parking lot access, they were later fined for drive-in church services as well. Both forms of worship were considered illegal at that time. Tickets and non-compliance continued until months later when a warrant for six individuals for multiple breaches of so-called public health and safety measures ensued.
0: Over a period of months and after the issuance of multiple tickets and repeated attempts to educate, members of the Public Safety Investigations Unit obtained warrants of arrest for six individuals. They stem from breaches of the public health orders.
2: Pastor Tobias was one of those individuals and we caught up with him while the warrant was active to hear his side of the story. He continued hosting church services despite the warrant and stated that authorities would have to arrest him at the church, where he continued to present himself during church services. While this warrant was active, Pastor Tobias faced what he would call Gestapo tactics, much like his family had fled Europe from in years past.
3: I've had ancestors in Russia that were being persecuted for, for their faith. They would be, the Christian leaders would be picked up at church taken to the police station and said, this is the fine. You're not leaving here until you paid. And then from there, it got worse to where they got arrested and in a lot of cases killed.
2: His church also now faced a potential $1 million fine. Pastor Tobias continued on without being arrested until October 18th, when the RCMP arrested him in front of his crying children, as opposed to the church where he had frequently presented himself for arrest.
0: Where are we going now?
2: <clears throat> he was let free around 45 hours later after assigning conditions for his release, and our chief videographer, Mocha, was quickly on scene to hear from the church. We later caught up with Pastor Tobias himself to find out what conditions he had to sign in order to be released, along with his expectations
3: moving forward. While I'm not allowed to incite or organize or invite anybody to a gathering that is in contravention of COVID-19, it goes on to say, to clarify, this does not affect his ability to perform regular religious services and perform his duties as a pastor."
2: Even after resolving the matter of his warrant, authorities continued to harass his family. Pastor Tobias called them out for these tactics and set a meeting with police, at which time he was given over $17,000 in fines for hosting church services in violation of the Quarantine Act.
1: So you didn't quarantine then, when you came in?
2: As Pastor Tobias has stated previously, he and the church hold the understanding that these health orders are in violation of our fundamental freedoms here in Canada. Joining us today is Pastor Tobias to talk about this latest wave of tickets that were brought on because of the way he practices his faith, and so being deemed illegal by the state under the Quarantine
3: Act. Been through a lot, I guess, in the last two years, and of course, many of you have seen previous coverage from Rebel News for all the stuff we've been through as far as fines and arrests.
2: Uh, So, Tobias, can you step out of the car? You're under arrest. You have an outstanding warrant for your arrest,
3: okay? And, you know, fines have kept coming all the way up to this year so far. As far as them targeting us for um, keeping on gathering as a church, that has stopped, and we're very thankful for that. We've been able to gather peacefully since June of last year, and we consider that as a win for for us at this point because it's obviously better to be able to gather peacefully instead of having or knowing that you're being surveilled and they're trying to see if there's more charges coming and all that so we're very thankful for that
0: well folks you remember the narrative these past 2 years when it came to the covid-19 pandemic you know we're all in this together well Nothing could be further from the truth. We saw the big super stores stay open. We saw the government-run liquor stores stay open. But if you had the temerity to open your church, well, that was a different thing. You were shut down. You were jailed. Your uh, church, in some cases, was surrounded by a fence. It was absolutely despicable. And you need look no further than what happened with Pastor Tobias Tissen. Right now, I am joined by Sid Fizzard, our man in Calgary. Sid, how you doing there?
4: Great. How are you guys
0: doing down there? Oh, we're doing great. Sid, um, I find this heartbreaking. As you mentioned in the video, he is facing, or the church is facing, a potential $1 million fine. No little church has $1 million just lying there in the uh, collection uh, plates. What's going on with this, I think, vendetta against uh, Pastor Tobias.
4: Yeah, it was certainly threatening, and it was around the same time that Manitoba was having a lottery, uh, get vaccinated type lottery, where they're handing out large amounts of money. And I think that was part of why it was uh, a threatened to take it possibly a million dollars, which is interesting. And you see there's other people on that list who also were facing fines, but nowhere near to the same extent.
0: And yet, Sid, when we come to the science, because we were told ad nauseum that every one of these COVID-19 policies and decisions and laws were driven by the science, when it comes to that, is there any evidence whatsoever that um, Pastor uh, Tobias's church was some kind of a super spreader for the coronavirus?
4: Um, there are certainly threats that the area may have at certain times been uh, having higher COVID numbers, but the fact of the matter is they weren't even allowed to have uh, drive-in church services, windows rolled up, you listen in through the radio. Uh, they weren't even allowed to do that without the RCMP trying to block off their parking lot. So uh, I think these tactics we're seeing are certainly uh, just threats of punishment or compliance. Those are your only two options.
0: You know. Sid, that's amazing because it reminds me of uh, Henry Hildebrand's church. We went out uh, a year ago to visit those services. And the same deal, it was like a drive-in movie. Everybody was in their vehicles, windows up, a radio frequency uh, presenting the sermon. And that was offside. And yet literally about I don't know, three or four hundred metres down the road uh, from that church of uh, Pastor Hildebrandt was a no-frills grocery store packed to the gills with shoppers. So where's the science there? I would suggest that there's far more of a chance of an outbreak if uh, people of different families are inside a grocery store hobnobbing as opposed to families segregating themselves in their own private vehicles.
4: Yeah, no, absolutely. I'd agree with you. And I think, uh, well, it's it's a problem that we're seeing it in multiple provinces. Uh, that was what Tobias had to deal with as well, where liquor stores were open, uh, Walmarts were open, and we even had reporters uh, going to the Walmarts. And even though you could fill the house, basically, there were many sections that were based on uh, Christmas services and, you know, Christmas trees, Christmas cards, uh, Christmas themed clothing. It uh, was all blocked off. So, uh, it just goes further down that rabbit hole of this is punishment towards religious groups as well.
0: Yeah, so you can walk into a liquor store, typically government-run and operated uh, in our great dominion, uh, and that's okay, but you can't go to a pastor, especially at a time, Sid, I think, in the last two years, what have we seen? Depression spiking, uh, suicide and suicide attempts. Uh People, I think, needed that kind of outreach uh, to go to a church or whatever your place of worship was, um, you know, to come out of the darkness, so to speak. It seems just despicably unfair that certain authorities would target these pastors and these places of worship in the first place. Last word goes to you, my friend. Uh,
4: No, I absolutely agree. And uh, when I caught up with Pastor Tobias while he was in Alberta— uh, he spoke of some of the individuals in his own community that have faced uh, suicides within their families. And this is a case where people were divided over the mandates and restrictions that were being imposed during the Christmas, uh, during the Christmas season. Um, and that division inevitably led to the most unfortunate circumstance for this individual. So uh, it's something we're seeing across the board. And I think pastors have an ear out for this sort of thing. People come to them with these sort of conversations. And I think that's why they're especially being targeted by the state.
0: What a sad situation! And can we just, Sid, please retire the phrase "We're all in this together"? I think that is now the number one lie of all time, even superseding "The check is in the mail" and "Hi, I'm from the government. I'm here to help you." (laughs) So let's let's call it as it is. Uh, Some people made out like gangbusters uh, during the pandemic. And others, um, well, they were persecuted and prosecuted for no valid reason. And that would be certainly the case with Pastor Tobias. Sid, thank you so much. You have a great weekend, my friend. You guys as well. All right. And that was Sid Fazard in Calgary. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. So, what do GM pickup trucks and a certain transgendered swimmer have in common? Well, in both cases, NBC News has taken liberties when it comes to telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Folks, check out this photo of Liar, or I mean Leah Thomas, in this NBC News feed. Wow, Leah's really transgendering nicely, isn't he? Look at that creamy complexion, that soft, smooth skin. Is this dude using a certain dishwashing liquid, maybe? Dishwashing liquid? <laughs> it's palm olive. Mild? More than mild. Next heaps of suds that last. And like I said, palm olive softens hands while you do the dishes.
1: Madge, I'm cuckoo over palm
0: olive. <laughs> ah, but here's the thing, folks. Leah's not using Palmolive or Oil of Olay or any number of lotions and potions designed to make skin silky smooth. Rather, that complexion is the result of NBC using Photoshop. Oh yeah, here, check out the actual photo that was submitted. Looks a little less feminine and a tad more masculine, wouldn't you say? Maybe because when it comes to gender, Leah Thomas is, well... I think Austin Powers put it best. That ain't no woman. It's a man-man. As the saying goes, the camera never lies, but NBC News, well, they sure do. Alas, a transgendered male-to-female athlete that looks quite manly doesn't quite fit into the narrative of the woke joke journalists in the mainstream media. You know, the idea that trans women are real women even though real, real women are getting slaughtered in the pool by this grifter. So it is that the folks at NBC News took it upon themselves to transform the real photo of Leah into a fake photo of Leah. (laughs) Hey, transgender, transform, trans fats. It's all the same, right? Now, at time of taping, NBC had yet to apologize for the photo fakery, and I did reach out to the Media Relations Department, of NBC News with some questions, but nobody has gotten back to me so far. No surprise there, really. The mainstream media loves to intrude into the lives of individuals on the proviso that the public has the right to know. But when the tables are turned and when the MSM is taken to task, suddenly they retreat, they turtle, and they embrace no comment, no comment. But here's the thing, folks. If there is one news organization on the planet that should be super sensitive when it comes to faking it, it is surely NBC News. Let's dial back the clock to November 1992. The NBC News program Dateline thought they had a real juicy scoop on their hands. You see, there were reports of pickup trucks made by General Motors having a design flaw that resulted in those pickups exploding. NBC decided to put this to the test. Here's an excerpt of their now infamous report.
1: To see for ourselves what might happen in a side impact crash, Dateline NBC hired the Institute for Safety Analysis to conduct crash demonstrations. Unlike GM tests, the fuel tanks were filled with real gasoline. Look what happened. impact, a small hole was punctured in the tank. According to our experts, the pressure of the collision and the crushing of the gas tank forced gasoline to spew from the gas cap. The fuel then erupted into flames when ignited by the impacting car's headlight.
0: Wow, that was dramatic, wasn't it? And quite frightening too. What's more, would you buy a GM pickup truck knowing that if you ever got T-boned, your vehicle would well, in the words of Billy Saul Hurick and Big Jim McBob. Yeah, you remember how it ended? Yeah, everything at the end blowed up. Blowed up good. Blowed up real <laughs> good. Real good. Yeah. No, I'm sure you wouldn't buy a GM pickup truck that acted like a next generation Ford Pinto upon impact. But alas and alack, there was just one teeny tiny little wee problem with NBC's report. Take it away, Romulan Senator Vrenek.
2: It's a fake.
0: That's right. That report was more fake than Pamela Anderson's bus line. You see, try as they might, NBC News could not get those GM pickup trucks to blow up when enduring a side impact. Thus, embracing the mantra of don't let the facts get in the way of a good story, NBC decided to, well, you know, grease the wheels a bit to get those much sought after kaboom visuals, which is to say they secretly affix incendiary devices on those gas tanks. No, I swear to God, folks, those journalists had their henchmen put little bombs on those gas tanks to make those trucks blow up real good. Yeah, hard-hitting news suddenly morphed into paperback fiction. In fact, I would say the smear tactics NBC used to demonize GM 30 years ago might be the great-great-granddaddy of what we now refer to as fake news today. And the thing is, NBC News might have gone away with this scam if it were not for a fireman on the set who was so disgusted by the chicanery that he contacted GM and he spilled the beans. And the general quickly and justifiably proceeded with a major defamation lawsuit. That lawsuit would eventually be settled out of court for an undisclosed amount. But here's the subsequent mea culpa that aired, courtesy of co-anchors Jane Pauley and Stone Phillips.
4: NBC's contractor did put incendiary devices under the trucks to ensure that there would be a fire if gasoline were released from the truck's gas tank.
0: We said the crash, quote, forced gasoline to spew from the fuel cap, end quote. GM says since the gas cap was the wrong cap for the GM filler tube, and because the gas tank was overfilled, the cap came off when the impact occurred.
4: We agree with GM that we should have told our viewers about these
0: devices. The Dateline reporter, however, said, quote, at impact, a small hole was punctured in the tank, unquote. GM has now x-rayed that tank and found no hole.
4: We acknowledge the placing of the incendiary devices under the truck was a bad idea from start to finish.
0: Oopsie! Oh, and Stoned Phillips also went on to say this, quote, We apologize to our viewers and to General Motors. We have also concluded that unscientific demonstrations should have no place in hard news stories at NBC." That's our new policy, end quote. Yeah, unscientific demonstrations should have no place in hard news stories at NBC, eh? That's the new policy, huh? Well, I guess that was then, and this is now, given the most recent tinkering scandal, this one involving Leah Thomas, in which NBC News gave Leah the digitized beauty parlor treatment to make a he look more like a she, Wow, given the outrageous fakery at play, it really makes you think, do the letters NBC stand for nothing but crap? That's how it looks to me, folks. In any event, you had plenty to say about NBC's disturbing compulsion to create fake news in order to carry out some kind of perverse agenda. Solana writes... Those fuzz dudes dominating women's sports have proven just one thing, that men can beat women at absolutely anything. It is clearly obvious that men and women were never designed to be the same or equal in any possible way. And this is the message the feminist Marxists and their friends in government are giving us with their circus show. Well, Solana, certainly when it comes to sports, I agree with your point. And by the way, where are the feminists when you really need them? Looks like to me, the feminists have thrown real women under the transgender bus. Fat Ninja writes, I heard Leah Thomas tested positive for performance enhancing testicles. (laughs) You know, Fat Ninja, while the month of April is young, I think that line is the funniest thing I've heard this month so far. Well played, my friend. Sandro writes, XD, the Austin Powers quote. That gets a 10 out of 10. Yeah, Sandro, I love that scene too, but it makes you wonder, the original Austin Powers movie was released in 1997, you know, when the world was a whole lot less woke and a whole lot more normal. Do you think such a scene that depicts the unmasking of a fake woman could be part of a movie if it were filmed today? I don't think so. I think the Hollywood elite would deem it to be, oh, I don't know, too transphobic. And Lar M. writes, the transgenders should have their own rules, regulations, and a standard set by the elected transgender sport governing body according to the normal distribution of the degree of transgendership. Well, you know, if I interpret your comments correctly, Lar, I think what you are saying is that when it comes to sports, there should be a male, female, and other division comprised of the female community. You know, I think I might even tune in to watch that gong show, Sounds entertaining. (laughs) Well, that wraps up another edition of Rebel Roundup. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next week. And hey, folks, never forget, without risk, there can be no glory. Good night.